0: It's the Cuse Conversations Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Villardi, Director of Digital Engagement and Communications in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. Yeah, it's a long title, but it's nothing compared to the titles our guest, Chris Licht, has on his resume. Executive Producer of Morning Joe when it launched in 2007, Executive Producer of CBS This Morning when it launched in 2012, Vice President of Programming at CBS News, and his current titles, Executive Producer of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, co-creator and executive producer of the animated Our Cartoon President and tuning out the news, and executive vice president of special programming for Viacom CBS. We're gonna cover a lot of ground in this Q's conversation. Chris will share stories about his career and unique professional journey. He'll literally get a COVID test during the podcast, and he'll tell us about a surprising Syracuse University class that truly opened his eyes.
1: I walked out of that class at least, if not a different person, with an incredible understanding and appreciation of people who didn't think everything was great and who people who, who, who uh, felt really marginalized.
0: We'll get to that, but we'll start with how the Late Show crew was able to quickly pivot from broadcasting from the Ed Sullivan Theater in New York City to working from home. The show must go on, and certainly, you know, you guys um, made that, True, but it wasn't easy. Talk to me a little about what um, what you did to to continue to produce a television show in twenty <clears> twenty. <throat>
1: um. Well, you have to go back to February, and it was sort of mid to late February when my senior staff started saying, you know, this is this is potentially going to be hugely disruptive to having audiences. And um, if you think back, there was a lot, we were getting a lot of mixed messages uh, about how serious this would be. And I, 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 I remember somebody on my staff saying, you know, we have to have some plans in place to not be in the theater. And I, said I don't even want to have that discussion Um, that is a you know if if people start hearing that we're having that discussion you know within the building it's going to really freak people out and I I I just I don't let's cross that bridge when we come to it and this is my uh, co-EP executive in charge of production Tanya and she basically ignored me and went forward and made extensive plans. So we went and bought equipment. We went and uh, bought licenses for this thing called Zoom that no one had ever heard of. And um, essentially as things started to ramp up in the world, we already had infrastructure in place to be able to work from home and Um, We are a Broadway, technically a Broadway theater. We're literally on Broadway. So when Broadway shut down on March 12th, we did one last show in the theater. And then we were supposed to have on March 13th, a work from home test. And that test ended up being the first day of what has now been months and months and months of us working from home. Um, so the the first answer to your question is there had to be uh, the right infrastructure and the right foresight into making sure that we were able to work from home, and then um, being able to uh, use that technology to do the best we can and have a desire to, as you say, have the show go on. So that that that's really what was behind it.
0: It's. Um... It's interesting to have watched how shows like yours kind of evolved. And as a viewer, I know in the early days watching some of the monologues, it felt awkward without having an audience response, without having laughter. Um, yeah. and, it, and it felt awkward for me to be laughing along with it. Um, how awkward was it for, for you to produce a show like that um, where you know so much of it is playing to your live audience?
1: Well, it. I wouldn't say awkward. I would say we had to adapt. But uh, really, the person who has the person has to adapt is Stephen, uh, and and to a certain extent, the writers. Um, like most of the way, the production adapted was really to fit his delivery and, and his performance, but he had to completely evolve the way he performs and go from uh, playing to an audience where there happens to be a TV camera to really connecting one-on-one with, you know, looking into the camera uh, more like radio or a podcast. So uh, that was a completely different level of performance energy and a completely different rhythm. And that's what makes Steven so great is he was able to pretty quickly adapt to that and realize that this was this was going to be the new way of doing things for a while
0: yeah and now and you so he was home in south carolina right is that
1: uh in the beginning um, yeah, in the beginning
0: was. and and you yep. were um, home as well or home yep. away from home i guess right i mean yep. so that yeah that's a tricky part now you're in new york city Um yep. again it but it's certainly not you know the show that it was a year ago um no i but in terms of the content of the show, I, I, I think this is kind of an interesting part of the story as well. Uh, the content of the show obviously was driven by what's happening in the world and, and what's been happening in the world over the last seven, eight months um, has, been, has, has been challenging, obviously, to everyone. Uh, how do you approach producing a show that is you know, supposed to be light and supposed to be you know, funny to some degree? It's supposed to be kind of that end of the night wrap up. Um, where there's just so much heavy in the world. Well,
1: interestingly, uh, one thing we have found is, uh, and by the way, it's supposed to be funny, not to a certain extent. It's always supposed to be funny, you know. <laughs> right. um, but uh, sometimes on the journey to the joke, you have heavy topics, and to set it up, you, you, are talking about things that by nature are bumming people out. That's a huge challenge in front of a live audience. It is not as big of a challenge when you are in the current situation we're in. So in a strange way, we're actually helped by the fact that to get to the joke, if, and you have to set up the joke by talking about something very bad or depressing. Um, you don't have to worry about groans. You don't have to worry about silence. You don't have to worry about awkwardness of the audience. They may be experiencing all of that at home, but it doesn't affect their performance. So that, that has actually given us a wider aperture of things to talk about because our, our mission really is to talk about what people are talking about and yeah. to distill it down and, and, and put, put some comedy behind it. So that's been um, one of the, I would say, unexpected uh, advantages of this current setup. It in no way is a big enough advantage to have us not want to be with an audience again. But, uh, but it certainly has been an interesting byproduct.
0: As you look ahead, you know, obviously a lot of of Stevens' humor has been related to the guy who was in the White House. As you look ahead to, um, you know, what, as we record, this is still not a very peaceable transition of power, but as you look ahead to this transition of power, um, does that, does that change the approach or, or, or you know, is Steven, Steven and, and do you produce the show in, in kind of a similar way?
1: Well, our mission is to talk about what people are talking about. And when people stop talking about him, we will stop talking about him. Um, but we've made a concerted effort to, you know, as he becomes less and less relevant, he's become less and less a part of our monologue. So, you know, we're not, um, you know, again, if you keep that from a producing standpoint, if you keep those blinders on, that you're not affecting the news, you're reacting to the news, you're not trying to change the world, you're trying to change how people feel about the world. So so really, you know, and I, I must say the number of uh, articles that I have declined to be in who have all wanted to talk about what does the show look like, you know, going forward, it's like <laughs> I—it's I, the same reason I didn't do articles when people wanted to talk about, hey, what's the show going to be like with the Hillary presidency? Right. Um, you know, which was literally those were real things. So you don't you 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 really approach each day uh, as to what to, to talk about, what people are talking about, and and blissfully, uh, it's it's less and less about Trump.
0: You know and I think this this leads nicely to to what I what I really want to talk to you about which is your career journey because that sounds like the approach you take you know as as a former news journalist myself to news you you don't make your decision about what the news is going to be of the day until you get and you determine and you see what the news is so with that background coming from a news background it sounds to me like you you really bring that Experience and that learning into what you do today,
1: yeah. They're very complementary of each other. Um, the biggest difference I have found is that when you're in doing news, you really have no control over what the news is. So, as you said, this happens, and really, your decision is what are you going to cover, where are you going to put it first, where you know, those you know, you're not. Whereas in comedy, if something is in the world, but there's no jokes. Like we, we can't come up with jokes, and we don't do it unless mm-hmm. it's something that just would be so strange to have not in the show. But there, that was a very tough learning curve for me. Of like, oh no no, we, this is this is really important. We should really talk about this. And then the you know the 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 script would be like, ah, eh, you know what, jokes aren't there, and you don't do it. And like that's like, what are you talking about?
0: Um, but so there is, uh, there is some bit of, of kind of journalism, Chris, that has to let go at times. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, cause we're not a news show at right. all. Um, and that also gives you license to do things like during the RNC, um, on that middle night where they really were just doing an infomercial. There was absolutely nothing of Comedic note, or any there's no Kimberly Guilfoyle, which was hilarious, or any of that stuff. And really, it was just a boring infomercial uh, on the same night that the NBA is announcing a boycott, and there's uh, rioting in the streets of Kenosha. And and you know, for us to say, you know what, people actually aren't talking about the RNC tonight. They're talking about these things. So we're not going to talk about the RNC, even though we were doing a live show, right, designed to be after the RNC we there's no rule that said we had to talk about the rnc whereas if you're doing a news show well there kind of is a rule that you have to talk about so so that gives you the license to be able to really be true to yourself and the audience and not have to have just sort of things that are dictated um as being in the public consciousness when they really aren't so it's it's a and then obviously there's the obvious like you can say what you really think about things as opposed to being down the middle. So it's right. it's very it's kind of like all the fun of all the fun of news without any of the responsibility of it.
0: That's an interesting, an interesting way to look at it. Um when when you set out on your journey, let's let's backtrack to uh, to what got you to Syracuse in the first place, what got you to Newhouse in the first place. Um, the career path has certainly been interesting, but in your mind, what was it when in the, uh, the late 80s, you decided Syracuse is where you wanted to be?
1: I had worked at a radio station
0: in Connecticut um, when I was in high school. And there were two
1: uh, SU alums there, uh, Newhouse alums. And they really um, turned me on to the school. And I, <laughs> my parents um, were like not really of the mindset of what that parents are now of like, okay, we're going to do the college visits and then you're going to go do that. <laughs> like, they went the week that you had to decide, they went on a vacation to the Caribbean. And my dad gave me his credit card and said, look, you want to go visit a couple schools? You know, like go do it. And wow. I went up, I got a buddy uh, and we drove up and stayed at the Sheraton uh, on campus. Yeah. And, um, I went and looked at the dome and I walked around and walked around Newhouse, and, um, the housing deposit was due. It was in March and the, like, are you going to come? And is there a housing deposit, um, was all due that week that my parents were in the Caribbean. And I wrote a check from my bank account. It was, it was like $150 housing deposit. It wasn't like a huge amount. And I wrote a check. And my parents came back and said, right, so what are we going to talk about? I am I'm, I'm already, I've, I've, I've signed up. I'm going, I did the housing deposit already for Syracuse. And they wow. said, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, there was just, I would like to say that it was because I knew I wanted to be, you know, that it was, I had weighed all of the best communication schools and all of that. And it really wasn't. It was really, I just had a connection when I went on campus. There was just something about it that was like, it was intimate yet big, and um, you walk past the Wall of Fame, which is like so surreal that my picture is even on there now. Um, and you go, "Wow!" Like this, I just there was just a, a visceral connection to the campus, um, and uh, it was obviously the best decision I ever made. It was like the perfect school for me.
0: In in what way, when when you look back now, what what made it so perfect? Um. That
1: it, one, I couldn't articulate this at the time, but now looking back, I tend to be a person that wants to be in the center of the action. So um, I want to be where something is happening. So like, I love going to the Grammys or I love going to the Super Bowl or I love going to the Final Four. And it had that energy of, okay, you've got this Division One sports team and you've got this, you know, uh, Newhouse School that had all of these really important people that have gone there and it just it just felt relevant and it felt um, like you could learn and be a part of this group of people who um, really, uh, particularly in Newhouse, were searching for excellence. You know, I there, were, it, there was such a competitive spirit yeah. that maybe that's drew me to it as well. Um, I mean, I remember <laughs> there were kids that on spring break would sign out AV equipment so they could go like shoot packages on spring break. And, and then you suddenly realize that these are the people that you're gonna be competing with in the job market. And it, so it, it really early on, you had the, a sense of that the best of the best were in, in, the, in the field that you were gonna be in were at this school. And if you could compete against them, then that was gonna set you up to be really successful outside of school. But then the thing that nobody talks about is there was a whole other part of Syracuse that doesn't have that. (laughs) And this was not something they would put into the admissions video, but (laughs) there was something also nice about the fact that it wasn't a bunch of tightly wound, you know, academic nerds. That dichotomy actually served me really well. Where It's like, I really wanted to be with people that were having fun and enjoying the college life and getting into trouble. But oh my God, Monday morning at 8am, I better have my act together because... I was you know I, I had no sympathy from those peers and my professor
0: yeah there's there's no doubt that um, you walk in a new house and, and you look at where that bar is and, <laughs> and suddenly you think oh all right I I, I can't just kind of lope along here I need to to climb to get to where that bar is and, and the people around you are, are constantly reminding you of that um, not necessarily intentionally it's just the way they're they're driven
1: yeah hundred
0: percent is that... Um, something, you know, obviously you have stayed connected to Newhouse uh, in particular, but, but to the university. Um, but what is important to you about staying connected? Um, because I think it's
1: incumbent on any person who feels that the university helped them. Um, and how does the university help you? Well, alumni that come back and talk or alumni that do informational interviews or alumni that help support uh kids who don't necessarily uh have the resources for for different things and um someone did that for me so i need to do that for them um because i've i've had you know some success and i've learned some things in the real world and in any way that that can be helpful um I, I think that that's your responsibility. So that's, that's a good way to channel uh, my energy into um, helping in any way I can. Plus, again, these are really competitive kids. And so you get a sense of what's happening in the world and you stay connected to some of the things they're going through and the challenges. And it just keeps you a little bit more grounded into what's happening. Yeah. So I, I really love it.
0: That, that idea of, um, you know, paying it forward. Any, any one of us who have gone through Newhouse can point to an alum um, who somewhere along the way gave us some advice or, or, you know, did something and then to be able to kind of turn around and, and hand it backwards. And you just know it, it, that continuum is a, is a pretty powerful um, thing. It, you know, it makes Newhouse, it makes Syracuse what it is that that exists. hundred percent.
1: That, that's what I was going to say. I was like, that's, that is Newhouse. I will assure you, Newhouse is not um, the Dick Clark Studios. Dick, you know those. I'm telling you, I the facilities that I was uh, involved with had were were a disaster. They were awful. Awesome. <laughs> but, um, but I, the, I remember but those the, studios
0: as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, you got to be kidding me. But the people. It's, it's the alumni, it's yeah. the faculty, and it's your peers, and that's what Newhouse is. It's delightful that they have you know, state-of-the-art equipment and all of that, but ultimately what makes you marketable in the communication and entertainment industry is not the fact that you know how to use the latest computer programs or the latest equipment, it's do you know how to write? Do you know how to be a critical thinker? And do you have a self-starting competitive drive? And, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, all the rest of it is just smoke and mirrors and uh, no, no one is going to hire you based on the fact that you know how to have it at it. Cause if you have those other things, they can teach you that.
0: Yeah, you can, right. You can pick up the technical skills and, and, and look, I don't get jealous of the students now very much, but sometimes when I do see the, the, the technology that they have access to, it's pretty impressive. Um, and, and I, you know, there, there's a little bit of, of jealousy there um, in, in terms of your career path did you have something set out when when you were a student and, and when you graduated or um, you know did you did you have a five year a ten- year plan?
1: I've never had that kind of plan but my goal was to be a you know TV anchor hmm. so I very much that that I was very focused on being, I mean, look back in 1992, 93, Newhouse I would would say was overly focused on graduating broadcast journalist students to go work in local news. Like that was the path, um, which I think, and they, I would say that has significantly changed now, Um, but it was basically you graduate, you go get a, a job in a small market, you work your way up, et cetera, et cetera. So that was very much what my path was and um, I kind of stumbled into producing. Producing was not a big, it was all on camera, on camera, on camera. And producing was not a focal point. Whereas that uh, was, was where I ended up. And uh, it, it is diametrically opposed to where I thought I would be uh, hmm. when, when I was at school. So um, luckily I had, you know without realizing it, I had developed skills. that would be helpful behind the camera
0: well you know that that is one of the things that that you hear pretty frequently is yeah I wanted to do this I wanted to be a play-by-play person but they forced me to learn how to write and how to think critically and you know in the long run that kind of pays off
1: absolutely and by the way the political science minor I had uh, was incredibly helpful like Jeff Stonecash, I want to say was his name. Like, there are things, there are things I specifically remember from those classes, like actual classes that I remember, you know, as it relates to, cause he did a lot of polling. So like, there are things I remember from lectures about how the only time you can actually affect change is during a crisis and blah, blah, blah. like things that are fundamental to understanding of how government works that were incredibly important that at the time, I'm like, oh, this is nice. I'm not going to, I'm not going to really need to know this stuff, but you know, but this is nice. Um, But going back to what makes Syracuse great, like I would say as someone who never in a million years thought he'd be working in late night, right? Like (laughs) like that wasn't even on my radar, right? Um, Even maybe like a month before I got this job, it wasn't on my radar, but I spent an enormous amount of time watching David Letterman with other kids, you know, in the fraternity house. I mean, that was also formative. That was also interesting. That it was also like, what made people laugh? What kind of things got picked up as, you know, into the lexicon walking around campus that had, that had been, you know, uh, as a result of watching these late night shows. And because there's that kind of energy and that kind of relevance and that kind of appreciation and openness to that, uh, you know, pop culture, like that was also important. Uh, in my development so it's 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 the whole picture of who you emerge as a person from school
0: but but also how far along you're willing and able to tap into that you know I mean like you said if a month before you got the the job you have now was this wasn't something on your radar but you're able to kind of access wait a minute I picked up all of these things. I I, I paid attention to this. I, I was impacted by this in some way. I think there's there's a lo- there's a valuable lesson there. I think for for anyone in terms of not being so laser focused necessarily and thinking, you know, this is my my chart, my path. This is what I'm doing. Percent, hundred percent. Like you,
1: the one thing I tell college kids when I do speeches or whatever or in Q and As, it's like your job in college is to be exposed to as many things as humanly possible. And, um, and that's socially, that's academically, that's, you know, one of the other classes I took in my freshman year was determinism in literature. And I don't know how I ended up in that class, but it ended up being a, I was I think the only one in the class that didn't realize that it was a secret class for uh, radical socialists who <laughs> ultimately wanted to overthrow the university infrastructure like I'm not I'm not exaggerating like <laughs> it was like, well what can we do to all meet and get credit for it? Oh wow, it's this determinism in literature class and I somehow stumbled into it and it was like the head of all of these radical student groups, you know and I think I can use the term radical um, but, they were they were all in this class and I I I walked out of that class at least if not a different person with an incredible understanding and appreciation of people who didn't think everything was great and who people who, who who uh felt really marginalized and and I remember saying well and and they were actually very welcoming it was it was kind of cool they, they really enjoyed the fact that I was in there because I'm like this you know stupid white kid from Connecticut <laughs> and and I I remember saying in, in class um, well look if you talk like this normal people are not gonna listen to you and they're like whoa 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 normal normal and I'm like whoa, what 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 and it was like so I that and I will never use that phrase again and I understood that when you say oh normal like what's normal to you and all of these things that are like well of course Chris but let's go back we're going back to 1990 here and the fact that I was exposed to that in (laughs) at school was hugely beneficial to me but that is not a class I would have sought out I I just happened to have stumbled into it and it was great and you just have to the thing i say to kids is like just expose yourself to things that you think you have no business being a part of that that are not going to be any part of your life cuz you have no idea where you're going to end up what you're going to do what what is going to catch fire how the world might change and you can't be laser focused the only thing you should be laser focused on is being competitive being a self starter and no matter what class you're taking being the top person in that class and But as far as like who you're going to be after you graduate or five years after you graduate, like you don't really have to figure that out till you're, you know, 30, maybe, you know, so take chances, take risks, and don't be so laser focused as to what you want to be, because that's a very small percentage of kids who actually end up doing that specific thing that they thought they were going to do when they were 19 or 20 years old.
0: Absolutely. And, And, and you don't know what you don't know i mean that's an obvious an obvious thing but you're not going to know unless you expose yourself to some of those things along the way i think that's uh, that that's certainly true and you know i think one of the things not to get off on a tangent but one of the things that that is a little bit frightening about the time we're in now is people seem to to be driven to to watch and listen to things that they know what they're going to get right they're, they're not exposing themselves to to some of those um, those other ideas, uh, and and that's kind of a, a, a scary thing to some degree.
1: Yeah, and I and I I also would hope, and one of the reasons why I identify with Syracuse is because I do think there's still not that craziness that you find on some campuses. Like I would I would hope that there is a space where. A, a, I, for lack of a better term, an ignorant, privileged kid like me could be in that class and say some dumb things and get schooled in that class, but not have it turn into, you know, someone doing an Instagram post about, you know, how stupid I was. Like, yeah. it, 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 there has to be a place for people to understand each other. And I think that's still happening uh, at Syracuse, which is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm still, you know, so quite closely tied to it but there are some campuses where a i would i would have like immediately walked you know someone like me would immediately walk out of that class or the 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 group in that class would not have been accepting and and like but it was so much better for everybody that we all talked and learned from each other and that's like what school is supposed to be that's what college is supposed to be and the further you get away from that the worse it is for everybody
0: (laughs) yeah and and the more you you kind of long for those opportunities again to have those conversations and uh, and be surrounded with with people who who can enlighten you in ways that you didn't even know you needed to be enlightened to. I think that's a, it's an interesting thing. As as you you know kind of again look look back on on your journey to where you are here. Is there is there some experience that that you point to as either a turning point or as as a um, a really significant learning experience in your career that um, that that helped shape you.
1: I haven't found that it works that way.
0: Hmm.
1: I I it's all of these little things that that you know my my mantra also always when I produce a show is you have to evolve. Like that's you know. Uh, The biggest mistake you can make is like, okay, we're number one. Don't change anything, right? Um, You just have to move forward and evolve and change. And I I kind of feel that way about your professional development. So, like, every little thing has an effect on you. I would say um, the things that really stand out to me was there was a literal moment on on uh, nine eleven where um hey uh, hang on second. hey Jared is yeah. this the test yeah he can go on and do this I mean, you're gonna see me get my COVID test while we're, oh, while we're doing it because <laughs> I, well, I, I get I get tested every day every um, day wow yeah because I'm in Stevens I'm in yep. Stevens orbit so there's yep. a group of us that get tested every day wow. so I would say like I remember on 9-11 they're having a, a huge argument in the newsroom about whether I should stay because my My first day as acting executive producer of the morning show at KNBC in Los Angeles was September 10th, 2011. So my second day was very eventful. but uh, there was a huge argument between two of the newsroom managers about whether I should go to New York, drive across the country and go to New York, or I should stay and produce. And that would have been just a real game changer as far as am I a producer or am I somebody in the field? So that's, you know, I stayed and I was like not happy about it, but then that that leads me to be a producer. Had I gone, maybe I'm a field producer. Maybe my whole career is different. And like that one moment, good, bad, whatever, you just, you are always evolving and, and learning from experiences. So no, there wasn't like one, visceral moment that has like taught me a bunch of stuff it's just everything that happens along the way um just influences who you are you know either as a producer or a leader
0: yeah i I mean that's that's the best way to 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 look at it if there's there's one major changing event you know (laughs) it it kind of disregards all of the the smaller things along the way that um that have an impact when, when you think about kind of the big picture of what it means to be a Syracuse alum, um, to be part of whatever this is that you're, you're part of, um, what what does that significance hold for you?
1: I don't know, I think it means that you were trained at one of the best places in the country. So there is a little bit of a uh, responsibility, you feel or at least I feel to uh, uphold that in everything you do like it, like I feel a sense of responsibility that um, whatever I do is a reflection on the school um, and uh, that's yeah that's that's probably more weight than uh, is deserved but I just kind of feel that you um, for the school to continue to thrive, it has to be full of uh, people in the world that have gone through the school who are good ambassadors for the school. So for me, that's what it means, that I'm always trying to be a good ambassador uh, of what the ideals of Syracuse is. And it first and foremost, it's excellence. and um, And the fact that, I mean, I would hope that a school that produced someone like me that has done so many different things, like that's not like, that's not just, that's not, oh, I just came out of the womb and like, that's who I am. I, my formative years in school trained me to be able to hone skills over time, to be able to do some pretty fun, impactful things across a very wide spectrum of media. Um, So, you know, I I hope that that is something that people go, oh, I will have the basic skills if I go to Syracuse that I can go work in a news division or an entertainment division.
0: Or both at some point.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Or, Or produce animation, like, okay, sure.
0: We told you we'd cover a lot of ground and there's plenty we didn't get to, like the brain aneurysm that nearly took Chris's life in 2010. That experience led him to write his first book, What I Learned When I Almost Died, How a Maniac TV Producer Put Down His Blackberry and Started to Live His Life. We hope you're enjoying the Cuse Conversations podcast. We encourage you to subscribe, tell your friends, leave us a review. Have an idea for a guest or want to be a guest? Let us know. You can connect with us at SU Alums on Twitter and Instagram or the Syracuse University Alumni Facebook page. I'm Chris Villardi. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay well, and go orange.